Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. In your wallet, you carry around with you the most important things in your life. And as promised, I told you that I would share the contents of my wallet with you. So I kind of went through the contents of my wallet. And we discovered that basically when you get down to it, you can reduce all the contents of my wallet to basic two categories. One is finances and one is family, not in that order. Uh, Family, then finances as the most important things in my life. And so we're going to talk some more about uh, family this morning. And if you will remember that I also, wait a minute, how many of you stuffed your wallet? with a lot of extra stuff this morning thinking I might do what I did last week, right? If you missed it last week, I played Monty Hall for a second. Everybody remember Monty Hall and the game show, Let's Make a Deal, and I, and I called out for some items, and those that brought it up the first got $10. I gave away, how many, come on, how many of you stuck extra stuff in your wallet? Nobody? All right, well, I might have to pull that out here pretty, okay, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to make you wait. We might do that again one more time in this series. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I, I told you that there is a Monty Hall that's still alive today. He's still trying to get us to make a deal. And in fact, I made this statement to you. I said this. I said that our enemy is attempting to get us to accept the unacceptable. Right? And so we're going to talk a lot about families this morning. And and I don't think you would have a hard time agreeing with I don't think I even have to ask for a show of hands and say I agree with this because I think you recognize and you understand what I'm getting ready to say to you. But I want to make this real plain to you this morning, and that is this. There is an out-and-out attack on families by our Monty Hall. He is trying to uh, get us to convince us to accept what God says is not acceptable when it comes to families. Right? this Monty Hall is trying to convince us that it is normal and that it is, that it is acceptable for the definition of families to be changed from what God intended it to be to something totally else, something else. He's distorted it. He's trying to redefine it. That's why in the New York school system not too long ago, they handed out a textbook to kindergartens that said, Tommy has two mommies trying to make it acceptable to us that they can redefine a family as two moms or two dads, and that is normal, and we ought to be all right with that. Uh, Accepting what God has said from the very beginning, it is not acceptable. In fact, in Genesis, the Bible says that a man should leave his mother and father and go cleave to his wife. It doesn't say he created Adam and Steve. It says he created Adam and Eve. There is a difference. It is unacceptable. Accept what is unacceptable. We will not do it. The Monty Hall of our day is trying to get us to be convinced and make it acceptable that that it is normal for children to experiment chemically and and sexually. That is not acceptable. They are trying to convince us that it is all right, and they portray it this way all the time on TV, that it is acceptable that the parents are the idiots and that the children are in control. That is not acceptable. They are trying to convince us that it is normal, that it is absolutely common and it should be okay with everybody that the parents go buy the condoms and provide the condoms and that the parents go buy and provide the alcohol for the party. I want to tell you this morning, it is not acceptable. That is not acceptable. 
It is not acceptable for them to portray family as something that it is not. God has said there is a definition of family, and he wants that definition to be carried out. And that is this. That Listen to me carefully. I'm getting ready to give it to you right now. Straight, I was going to save it, but I'm going to give it to you right now. Are you ready? We raise chickens. We don't raise children. Right? We train children. In the ways that they should go so that when they get old, they won't depart from it. We don't raise our children. We are to be training our children to follow God. TV's trying to convince us separately. One man said this. He said, those anti-family images have become so deeply ingrained in our national consciousness that few Americans can summon the courage or the strength to dismiss them as the destructive distortions that they really are. We've just gotten used to it. So we can flip on the TV and watch Will and Grace and think it's great that they're, they're portraying homosexuality as cool. We can, we can in my day, back in the day, we were talking about that yesterday, that term back in the day, um, well, uh, married with children, trying to convince us that this is the way normal families look. It is not like that. Not supposed to be like that. There is an attack on families. In fact, one writer by the name of Linda Gordon, she wrote this. She said, the nuclear family must be destroyed. And people must find better ways of living together, whatever its ultimate meaning. The breakup of families now is an objectively revolutionary process. Families have supported, now listen to this, families have supported oppression by separating people into small, isolated units, unable to join together to fight for common interests. There's an attack on families. Are you with me this morning? There's an attack on... How about this? Psychologist Nicholas Humphreys in 1997 at an Oxford amnesty lecture said this. Parents have no God-given license to enculturate their children in whatever ways they personally choose. No right to limit the horizons of their children's knowledge to bring them up in an atmosphere of dogma and superstition or insist that they follow the straight and narrow paths of their own faith. There is an attack on our families. Atheist Richard Dawkins said this. He says, he, he decries bringing up children to believe manifest falsehoods like the existence of God. He says, how much do we regard children as being the property of their parents? Should they be free to impose their beliefs on their children? Is there something to be said for society stepping in? He wants to make it possible for society at large to step in and say, you can't teach your children that God is the only way and that Jesus is the only way to salvation and the relationship with God. He says, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. There's an attack on our families. We know there's an attack on our families when a guy, an atheist by the name of Pullman, can convince Hollywood to spend multiplied millions of dollars on a movie called The Golden Compass so that it kind of looks like the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, But he's an atheist, and his books, what he's trying to do, he said it himself. He said, I'm trying to get children to watch this movie, to get intrigued with this movie so they'll read my books because in book number three, the children kill God. He's trying to convince us that what we believe is wrong, that it's acceptable. I want to tell you something. It is, it is time, it is high time that we protect our nest. 
I can still remember as a teenager when my dad would go preach at different places. He's told this story, and I've never forgotten it. It was about this hunter that was on a, a safari-type trip. He was hunting in the Amazon, and he had been there for several days, and he would killed everything he was supposed to kill on this hunting trip. And on the last day, early in the morning, he gets up out of the little hut he'd been staying in. He grabs his gun, and he says, I'm just going to go into the jungle and just watch the sunrise. And he sits down, and he's enjoying the beautiful sunrise when all of a sudden he catches movement in the trees. And he sees this large nest, and sitting on this large nest is a huge bird and it's got baby birds all around it and then this other bird flies in the daddy bird flies in and drops off food and he begins to watch it all unfold before him and he sees the daddy bird take off and go get food and he brings it back and he goes and gets food and brings it out and one of the times the dad, daddy bird is off all getting food and out of the corner of the hunter's eye he sees movement on a branch higher up on the tree and he begins to focus and he suddenly realizes that it's a snake and it's a deadly poisonous snake and that snake is slowly making its way towards the nest unaware that the, the birds are unaware and, and the scene continues to play out and the snake gets closer and closer on one of the trips back the daddy bird spots the snake he drops off the, the food and seeing the snake he panics and he flies off and the hunter's disappointed and thinks that daddy's going to abandon the children because he knows they're doomed but all of a sudden it begins to change. The daddy bird begins to fly from bush to bush and lands just briefly and then goes to another bush and lands briefly and goes to any carrot and the snake's getting closer and closer and closer and it looks like the baby birds are doomed. They're going to be a meal. When all of a sudden the daddy bird lands on a particular bush and he break, takes his beak and breaks off a little twig and he flies hurriedly back to the nest and he lays that twig and those leaves right over the front edge of that nest and all of a sudden that, that snake so dangerously close cools up in that famous S shape and lashes out to strike one of the baby birds and when he lashes forward he brushes the, the bush, the little twig and when he does it repels back and falls out of the tree and the hunter raises his rifle and shoots the snake. He walks over and he picks up the snake and he goes and gets a little twig off that, that bush that that bird had been on and he carries it back to the village and he, where he'd been staying and he brings it to the villagers and he says, I don't understand. Why did the, the, the snake repel when he touched the bush and the villagers explained? The daddy bird knew the only bush in the whole jungle that was so poisonous to the snake that the snake can't even touch it without being repelled and the daddy bird saves his family by protecting his nest. I want to talk to you this morning about protecting our nest. How do we protect our families? Some of you are sitting here going, well, I'm not married and I don't have children. It doesn't matter. This, this, the principles I'm going to share with you this morning work for your family. It works for your extended family. It works for your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friend. If you will apply these four, it's actually five, but I cheated and put two together so I could say four, four C's in your life, it will work, all right? It will work for you. If you will just incorporate these four C's, five C's in your life, I promise in any relationship it will, it will work. The first one is this. We must learn to cover our families. I, I, I've got an admission to make. It's going to be transparent with you this morning. There are days, more days than I would like to admit, that I take God's protection over my family for granted. There are days that I fail to recognize the dangers that, that, that come against my children on a daily basis at school. And when they're walking down this, the, the neighborhood playing in our front yard, there are days that I overlook the angels that are surrounding them. There are days that I forget and stop to really plead the blood over them and pray over them. I am thankful this morning that God can cover my children. We must cover our families. 
We must become, I, I believe it is more and more imperative that we actively cover our family in two ways. The first is with prayer. The second is with God's word. The Bible very clearly states that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, teaching us that we must cover our families with supernatural power. You can cover your family all you want to in natural ways. You can take your 16-year-old cute little daughter and lock her up in a room until she's 35, thinking that will protect her, but it won't work. You can guard everybody they hang out with and try to isolate them and put them in a private school and keep them out of every, you know, make them a hermit. It won't work. Why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And it, it takes us supernatural weapons to fight the enemy. And so we must learn to wield these supernatural weapons. We must war in the heavenlies for our families. We must learn to cover our families in prayer and in God's Word. Now, when I say that, you think what I'm saying is that we just pray over our kids in the morning and pray over our wives and our, our husbands at night and, and that we just read the Word. And that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that we've got to teach our children and our family members to pray. We've got to teach our children and our families to love God's Word and to know God's Word and to activate God's Word and to use God's Word as what it really is. It is a sword. We need some folks to rise up like Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham and his, his nephew Lot was in peril and in danger. And you remember what happens? Abraham, it doesn't say he went to his knees, but he prayed. He began to have, what is prayer? A conversation with God. He begins to have a conversation with God and he prays his nephew out of danger. Oh, come on, somebody. We need some moms and some dads and some grandmas and some grandpas and some aunts and some uncles and some best friends and some boyfriends and some, and, and some spouses to pray somebody out of trouble, to hit your knees and draw somebody out of the fire and draw somebody out of the trap and draw somebody out of the snare. The enemy wants to kill them, destroy them, and put things in their minds and in their lives. We need somebody to learn how to pray over our families and our loved ones. But then also we must teach them the word. We must teach them that the word is powerful, that the word is active, and that the word is relevant. If it happened then, it can happen now. If it worked then, it works now. In fact, I want to read to you out of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to listen carefully. Verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 8 says this. This is the commandment, the rules and the regulations that God, your God, commanded me to teach you to live out in the land you're about to cross in to possess. Listen to this. This, this is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God, lifelong, observing all of His rules and regulations that I'm commanding you, you and your children and your grandchildren, living good, long lives. Listen, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Now watch the order. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as reminders. Did you catch that? How often are we supposed to be talking to our families about the Word of God and the commands of God every moment? How often should we call to remembrance the truths and the principles of God's Word to our children every moment? When you wake up in the morning and when you walk and go to bed at night, should we be talking to them all the time about Spongebob and basketball and the shoes that they're wearing where they're going? No, we have got to be talking to them about God's Word and making it relevant to their lives. I like to say it like this, it ought to be right between their eyes all the time we get it in us so that it will get into them 
We've got to teach them that they must live off of every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. We don't live on superstition. We don't live on feelings. We don't live on emotions. We don't live on what the society says is acceptable. We live on the word of God and what he said is true. It's inerrant. It's absolute truth. It is right. It is never wrong. There's no gray. It is black and white. We live according to his principles, not their principles. We cover our families. The second C is this. We've got to learn to communicate. Perfect example is David and Absalom. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 28, it says this. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years. Now listen. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years. And he did not once see the king face to face. Think about that. Same neighborhood. Same city. Same last name. Same bloodline, but he never once in two years talks to his father face to face. Oh, he might have emailed him. Come on now. He might have texted him, but he didn't talk to him face to face. Is it any wonder that he rebelled? Did you know that the average child 30 years ago spent three and a half hours every day in direct dialogue with family members? And now the average Christian father spends less than seven minutes every day in meaningful dialogue with their child. Let that just, that just sets in like a lead brick, doesn't it? Less than seven minutes a day we actually talk to our children. Not only that, it says one in four young people surveyed in a Christian home state that they've never had a meaningful conversation with their father. We must learn to have conversations and communicate with our children. Let me ask you pointedly this morning. When's the last time you stopped after church and asked your children what they learned in Passion Kids and you refused to settle for, I don't know, nothing. That's the one I get all the time, nothing. And then I pry and I find out they really did learn something. But when's the last time you asked? When's the last time on a Wednesday night that your teenager strolled into the house after youth ministry, infused youth ministry, and you stopped them and said, no, 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 come back in here and let's talk about what you learned. Let's find out what you have been doing. Let's find out who you, come on, folks, we got to communicate with our kids. we got to communicate with our families. We can't let the TV always be the babysitter. We've got to communicate with our children. Our children are surrounded by noise. But they are dying from silence. They are absolutely dying from silence. We must learn to communicate with our children and share what is important. You know, the Bible says that the tongue has life or death in it. Our children, our family members, our loved ones are totally pounded all the time with death. And we have the opportunity and the ability with our mouth to share life and produce life. And we've got to learn to undo everything that's been done. You can't do that in less than seven minutes a day. SpongeBob's not going to do it. Hannah Montana's not going to do it. Come on now. What's the other one, the little boys? Uh... Zach and Cody, they're not going to do it. It's good, clean fun, but let me tell you, they're not going to speak life into your children. Who's going to do it? You've got to do it. We must learn to cover our children and our families with prayer and God's Word. We must communicate. We, some of you just need a face-to-face, sit-down talk with your children. 
the, the third one, it's actually the third and fourth one because I told you I cheated and got four, five out of four, right? The, the third one is this. We must learn to confront and to correct. Listen to me this morning. David, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. You know what that means? He loved God. He loved to worship. He wrote all the Psalms. He'd say, you give him a harp. He didn't need anybody else to worship with him. He could sit down and worship himself silly all by himself. He loved to worship. He loved to pray. He loved to be in God's presence. There was only one problem. His kids were out of control. Let let me give you, this this is not the kind of biographical sheet you want to see after you've been a parent. Let me just kind of give you a rundown of David's kids. Are you ready? It's unbelievable. For instance, Amnon raped his sister. Well, that's something you want on your resume, isn't it? My son raped his sister. Then it goes on in Absalom. He was a traitor. You know all about him. But not only was a traitor, he was a killer because he goes and has Amnon killed because of what he had done. Then we all know about Solomon. Solomon was self-indulgent. He was excessive, and he was a womanizer. He was a player, right? But probably the most revealing son and the most revealing statement made in the whole entire account of David's life and his family's life is found about about his son Adonijah, which says this in 1 Kings. His father had spoiled him rotten as a child and never once reprimands him. Never once. He's out of control. He's living his life out of control, and he refuses to step in and correct him or confront him. Now, why? I don't know why. Maybe David was so ashamed of his own sin and his own failures as a man and his own failures as a husband that now he refuses to step in and say, you're doing this wrong because of my own sin. I can't deal with my my children's sin. Let me tell some of you this morning, some of you have done some bad stuff. Some of you have made some serious mistakes in your life and you don't want anybody to know about it. So now that when your children are doing what you did, you don't feel qualified to step in. Let me tell you something this morning. That's who you were. That's not who you are. You have a God-given responsibility to step in. They are your duty. They are your obligation. It doesn't matter how bad you messed up. If they're your children, you are obligated to confront and to correct. Eli was in the same boat. The Bible says that Eli was in charge of the house of God. He just wasn't in charge of his house. You remember the story. He, he, he's, he's a priest. He's running the house of God. But he's allowed his ungodly evil sons to run rampant through the temple. You remember what they did? They stole sacrifices and they slept with the women in the temple. Out of control. And the Bible says that Eli wouldn't do anything about it. Because he says this in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. He says, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity, listen, for which he knoweth. Some of you know your kids are doing things they shouldn't be doing. Let me tell you what happens when you don't confront and correct, when God has given you them as that he's trusted and trusted. He's stewarded them into your, your handhold, your, your hands. They are yours to deal with. If you refuse to convert, well, if the youth pastor would just get on to them, uh-uh, it's your responsibility. Because the Bible says, I will destroy his house. If you go back and read, it says, I'll destroy his house. Because his sons have made themselves vile, and he what? Restrained them not. We've got to come back to where we are willing to correct and to confront our children. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 through 6, open rebuke is better than secret love. Don't tell me you love your kids if you won't get on to them. 
It's better than secret. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. They may get upset. They may not like it. They may pout. I know your kids don't pout. Mine like to pout. I know your kid's bottom lip doesn't get real shaky and get real big, and they walk on it every once in a while. I know your kids aren't like that, but my kids pout when they don't get their way. But there, you have an obligation. That, listen, the open rebuke of a friend is better. It is better. And so we've got to confront. In fact, God says this in Revelation. He says, I will, those that I love, I will rebuke. In other words, he's saying this, you prove how much you love somebody by how willing you are to confront and correct them. Oh, come on. Y'all are awful quiet this morning. It's time to get bold again, parents. It's time to get the locks off a kid's door. It's time to get the password to their email accounts. It's time to find out who they're spending their time with and where they're going on a Friday night. When they told you they're going to so-and-so's house, are they really at so-and-so's house? Come on, it's time to get bold again and confront somebody and say, I love you too much to let you make the same mistakes that I made. I'll do whatever I got to do to keep you safe. We got to get bold again. So we got to com- correct and confront, but we got to do, listen, we got to correct correctly. Right? Paul teaches us. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, fathers, and this goes for mamas too, by the way, fathers don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Now, well, if I can't be hard on my kids, how am I supposed to correct them? Then he tells us how. He says this, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Which brings me to number four, or number five, if you want to be a legalist. The last C is this, because Paul teaches us this. Copy. In other words, model. Reproduce yourself. See, we have got to learn a lesson here. And Paul teaches us that we confront and we correct by modeling for our children how they're supposed to live. Let me teach you a principle this morning. You ready? This is deep. Like produces like. In other words, an apple tree will always produce an apple. It doesn't matter what you do to it. You can jack with the DNA. You can do whatever you want to. It will never produce an orange because like always produces like. In other words, if you don't like what you see in your children, look closer because it's you. You're paying for your raising, right? I hear that all the time. My dad said that to me yesterday. My, my oldest son fights over jeans. He hates jeans. I don't know where he gets that. All I remember is that when I was about 14 years old, I gave my parents fits over jeans. I hated them. I'd only wear one sedge field. Man, they had a cool little eagle on the back. They fit really good. Come on now. He's me. Like produces like. We are producing ourselves and our children. So if you don't like what you're seeing, you got to change who you are. Uh, that one went over real good. I know. You, wanna, you, want God, you want children that love God with all their heart, mind, and soul? Guess who's got to start it? You. You want a, a child that will get God's word and read God's love word and love God's word? Guess who's got to read God's love word and love God's word and live God's word? You. You want children that will throw up their hands and spin and clap and dance and worship God with all their might? Who's got to start it? You've got to start it. They can't watch Israel do it on a DVD and say, I'm going to do that. They can't go to a passion conference and get all excited about Jesus and come home to a dead place. they got to see you do it. You want to see a kid 
that's not a racist and quit telling racist jokes and laughing at them. Because like produces like. You want a colorblind kid? Then love on somebody that ain't your color. You, you, want, some, you want a little kid that, is, that will accept anyone? Go find somebody that's not like you and hug on them and love on them and invite them into your house and spend time with them. And your kids will suddenly realize that we're all equal. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you the way it is. I don't know that my kid has ever come home and say, talking about another kid, you know that black kid. That's never happened in my house. When they start describing them, they say, that tall kid or, or that, you know, that kid that was wearing the red shirt. They never describe them by their skin color. Why? Because I don't see color. We're all the same. I love them. Come on now. We produce, we reproduce ourselves in our children. If you want kids that will honor their parents, honor your spouse. Honor your boss. You want kids that will do well in school and that will be faithful and consistent in their homework? Do good on the job. Come on now, I'm preaching, I'm preaching right now. I'm telling you how to reproduce yours. Listen, our motto must be this, it must be what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Our kids ought to be able to walk right behind us and look just like Jesus. Let me teach you another lesson. It's called the law of the lid. I wish this was original with me. It's not. John Maxwell taught us this. He said in leadership, there's this lid. The, as high as the leader goes, the followers will only go about two levels under them. And if you want the followers to go higher, guess who has to go higher? The leader. And then the followers will rise. It's called the law of the lid. There's a law of the lid in your household too. Your kids will only go as far with God as you go. They will only be as excellent as you are. They will only be, be a hard worker as you're a hard worker. You reproduce yourselves in your children. We don't raise children. We train children. Now, men, here we go. I'm getting ready to lower the boom. I'm getting ready to land this thing, but yeah, I'm getting ready to lower it right now. It starts with us. The Bible very clearly states in Malachi that in the last days, hear me, God will turn the hearts of the fathers, get the order here, He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and then I'll turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. The kids aren't going to start this thing. Daddy's got to start this thing. Oh, I'm preaching good right now. Men, it's time to step up. Let, let me, I, I know we get bored with stats, but let me share some stats with you real quick. In a recent study, 39 teenage girls that were, that were suffering from anorexia, they showed that 36 of them shared a common trait. You want to know what was the common denominator? They had a lack of a close relationship with their father. They, recently, uh, a guy found out that an emotionally or physically absent father contributes to a child's low motivation for self-achievement, inability to defer immediate gratification for later rewards, low self-esteem, and susceptibility to group influences and to juvenile delinquency. Just by a father not just being physically absent, but emotionally absent. Then Pratt Memorial Hospital in Baltimore did an Avenger profile on 17 teenagers over the last few years that have gone into their high schools and shot people, they did a profile on them, and they found out one common factor of the shooters was this. They were from families that seem normal, but are subtly dysfunctional, especially with the father. 
a child raised in a two-parent home where there is a fair to poor relationship with the dad is 68% more likely to get involved in drugs, alcohol, violence, and antisocial behavior. But a child raised in a two-parent home where there is a good to excellent relationship with the dad is 94% less likely to get involved in drugs, alcohol, violence, and antisocial behavior. Now, let me bring it home to you. Because in a recent study... We discovered that 54% of teens and preteens in evangelical church families say that they seldom or never talk with their fathers about their personal concerns. Come on, dads. Turn the football game off. 42%, 2 and 5, say they seldom or never do anything special with their fathers that involve just the two of them. One in five say their fathers seldom or never show their love for them. Dads, we need to hug on our kids. Listen, this, blow, this is the last one. This blows my mind. Listen to this carefully. When a child is the first person in the family to come to faith, the rest of the family will follow 31% of the time. When a mother or a woman in the family is the first to get saved, the rest of the family will follow 17% of the time. Now listen to this, guys. Listen to this. When a man or a father is the first person in the family to get saved, the rest of the family will follow 93% of the time. Dads, it's on you. It's on me. Now, I don't know what happens in your house. I just know this. When there is silence in my house, it ought to be that it produces calm, and tranquility, and peace, and security. But when there is silence in my house, the first question comes out of my mouth is, where are the boys? What are they doing? Where are they at? What have they gotten into? Where's Devin? I always ask where Devin is first because he's my youngest now. He's a, little, he's a little rough, you know. Come on now. Where are they at? What are they doing? Right? And I thought of this. Joseph, Joseph and Mary were on a journey. They were evidently distracted and focused on where they were going and making sure they had enough food and making sure the donkey was running just right and that it was tuned up just perfectly and that everything was in its place in the trunk and that they were supposed to be on. This day they're supposed to be there. They went to sleep soundly for three days and never once recognized that their son was missing. Think about that. Three 24-hour periods, they went to sleep and never once said, where's the boy? Where's he at? And then I stopped and I started thinking, they should be ashamed. They must have been poor parents. Man, DHS would have stepped in in a minute on them. And then I realized... Maybe we ought to be the ones that are embarrassed. Because how many of us have been given a child of destiny? And we're so so concerned with our trip and our journey and our promotion and our nice car and our nice house and our applause and our popularity and my self-esteem and what I need to get that I never stop once to say, where's the kids? Where are the children of destiny that God has entrusted to me? I'm going where I'm supposed to go on, and I'm fulfilling my destiny and my purpose, but where are my children in all of this? 
and I go to sleep soundly at night, and I sleep in the big bed, and I start up the nice car, and I fulfill my purpose, and I'm happy and I'm excited, and I wonder if we aren't leaving our kids behind. For all their failures as parents, let me say something. We need to learn from Mary and Joseph. You know what they did? They retraced their steps. Didn't lose him right here. Hmm. Didn't lose him right here. Oh, there he is. Wait, some of us need to go back and get our kids. Some of you've come miles in your spiritual journey over the last few months. Some of you've gone 26 miles down the road from where you were five months ago, eight months ago, three years ago. But some of you need to stop and go back and pick up some lost children and say, I left them back there. They didn't come as far as I came. It's time for me to retrace my steps and go back and get them and make sure they're on this journey with me. How do we do that? We cover them. We communicate with them. We confront and correct them. And we copy ourselves in them. That's how we protect. I, I, I just feel like doing an Under Armour commercial this morning. We will protect this house. Remember that? That rose up in me as I begin to prepare this message. I will, I don't care what a psychologist says. I don't care what an atheist says. I don't care what some radical feminist writes in her book. All I know is that I will protect my house. Not hell, not a demon, not anybody, no molester. Nobody will touch what's mine. I will protect my house house. That is my obligation. It's not my wife's obligation. I am the priest of my house. If the enemy gets in, it comes through me. If it comes over the TV, it's my responsibility to turn the thing off. I will protect my house. If I've got any men, I don't care if you've got children or not, you can make a prophetic declaration right now. If you're not married, don't have any, if you're not married, you better not have any children, but if you do, that's all right. Listen, God can forgive. You made mistakes. That's not who you are now. If you are here and you're a man and you've got children or you want children or you're praying about having children or maybe you don't want children, it doesn't really matter. If you're a man in this house and you're willing to stand up and say, I will protect my house, whether that be my children, my friends, my girlfriend, my best friend. If that's you, I want you to stand up right now. Look at the priests. That's who you are. That's who you are. In fact, women look up at him and say, you're my priest. Come on. <laughs> Tina's kind of extrapolating on that, and I was going to hand her the microphone. No, no, don't be calling him Lord. I, I remember, that reminds me of this story I heard. I think it was Vince Lombardi one night crawls up in, his bed, in the bed with his wife, and, and she says, oh, God, because his feet were so cold. And he says, honey, you don't have to call me God at home. You can call me just Vince. <laughs> Come on now. Listen, men, it's on us. It's on us. If the home fails... It's on me. If I save the world and lose my two boys, I'm a failure. 
if I save the entire city of Oklahoma City and they all pack into that little building over there until we can't breathe and me and my wife fail, I have failed. It doesn't matter if I'm on TV. It doesn't matter if they parade me across the stage on TBN. It doesn't matter if they put me on the cover of Charisma. If my family is falling apart like David's, I have failed. And so have you. I refuse. I refuse. Come on, ladies. I just right around you. I want you to get your hands on one of the men that stand. Doesn't matter if he's your man or not. Just get the hands up high. And we're going to pray over the men of this house that God will cause them to rise up in righteousness and in strength. And that they will begin to cover our families and communicate with our families and to confront and correct correctly. And that they will begin to copy themselves in us. Father, do it right now. Holy Spirit, I'm praying right now that you would touch the men of this house. God, I pray that whether they have children, whether they're married, whether, whether they want children, God, I pray that in the name of Jesus right now, some men would stand up and be men. God, we, we make a declaration this morning. We prophetically proclaim that we will protect our house at all costs. The devil comes against us, we will rebuke him. The devil comes against my children, I will raise up a standard and he will have to flee. I refuse to give him an inch. I refuse to give him an entry. And God, I pray that you would do that in the men of my, my congregation right now. God, I pray that we wouldn't have a congregation that is run by praying women, but they would be equaled and even bested by men of God who will get on their knees and that will pray and that will work and that will lead according to your word and that will be examples of who you are. And God, I pray that you would start it in me. In Jesus' name, protect our children. Protect our spouses. Protect our loved ones. Protect our friends. God, I pray that our congregation will be set apart by how many men are living righteously and how many men are living correctly before you. God, I don't want to be one of these churches that it's all little old ladies around and no men around. God, I'm praying for some men to rise up and live holy. I'm praying for some men to get bold in their faith, to be the best dads that they can be, to be the best husbands that they can be, to be the best boyfriends that they can be, the best friends that they can be. God, we will be men of God and men of valor, and we will accomplish great things, mighty things, by your power. And by your might, start it in us. And Father, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, especially men, if you're here this morning, and you would say, I cannot copy what's in me into anybody else because I'm not sure that what's in me is what I want to reproduce in anybody else. I'm not where I need to be with God. I Maybe you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. You've never bowed your knee to Him and said, you're my Lord and you're my Savior. You cannot teach anyone else about authority until you come under authority. Man or woman in the house, if that's you, 
quickly raise your hand, pull it back down. I will not embarrass you this morning. Yes, there's one. Anybody else? It says, I need to get closer to God. Amen. There was one this morning. Father, I pray for my brother this morning that raised his hand. Father, as a congregation, as a body of believers right now, let's all do this together. Jesus, we bow our knee. We bow our heart to you. You are our authority. When you say to do something, we do it. When you say not to do something, we don't do it. We ask you right now, take over my heart. Take over my life. Take over my household. Do it in me. Forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I'm believing this morning for a jailer experience to take place in this room because the Bible says that when Paul and Silas were singing in the jail and the earthquake comes and rattles the jail, the jailer runs in, sees what happens, has an encounter with God, and he takes them home and his entire household is saved. Father, through the men of this house, I'm praying right now that prodigal children will come home I'm praying that sons and daughters that were once strong in the faith that are no longer strong in the faith will come home. God, I'm praying for nieces and nephews that were once strong in the faith that have gone away. They would come home because of what's taken place in the man's heart. In Jesus' name. And we'll give you praise. Because no weapon. (laughs) I take that as a promise for my own children in my own household. No weapon formed against me has any chance of prospering. And I declare this as a prophetic word against the enemy this morning. It will not work. Try as hard as you want to. It will not, no doubt, no question, no worry. It will not work. Because he's got my back. He's carried me all these years. And if he said he'll do it, he will do it. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody that agrees with me this morning, will you say amen? Are you guys ready to move? (laughs) It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.